What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. We're doing these uh, on a on a case per case basis. We're not doing them every week, but uh, when uh, you get an opportunity to uh, interview one of your guitar heroes, who turns out to be a super nice chap and a bona fide legend, um, you got to do it. So this is it. My 45-minute chat with the legendary, the one, the only, one of the best ever, Robin Trump. My pleasure, mate. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been listening to the new album all morning. It's re it's really great. I mean, really, Thank you. really good stuff. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, I, I it's like it's like I'm a lifelong fan, and I just go, how how <laughs> how does Robin still keep like 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 I think it's one of your best albums. I'm really thank you very much. I appreciate that. Great tone, great riffs, some really cool um, outside of the box chord changes that you didn't really expect coming. I was like, oh, that's that's clever, you know. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So, um, by the way, by the way, I saw you on um, Jules Holland a couple of weeks ago. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, I thought it was excellent. Thanks, thanks. It yeah, was, I think it was his first show back. With, that's right in in that in that uh um context you know yeah yeah and they were they were trying a new venue was outside of london and they were kind of they were kind of just making it up as the as they went along but it was it was really well i mean that show is so fun to do and it's like you know it's, it's like yeah it's a it's a it's, a, it's I, I always tell jules i go it's your show and austin city limits are like the two great live music shows right? yeah proper proper live music yeah yeah where, where, where are you coming from um where am i now yeah i'm in hampshire in England. Hampshire. Yeah. nice nice you know um you know we met a long time ago almost 30 years ago i in remember Mil in milwaukee oh and, right did we yeah and it was a place um it was a festival they still do called Summerfest. And I was in a band called Bloodline, and you know, I thought I I I, th I had a Stratocaster because I loved the way you played. I was a big Robin Trower, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Hendrix, and I had two twin reverbs and a super reverb, and I thought I was really sorted out until <laughs> you went on, and you your guys rolled out three fawn colored. Marshall half stacks. I believe you had one of these, and I believe you had a Univibe and a Tube Screamer, and the sound was so massive, it made <laughs> my sound sound so little. And I go, I need to get involved in these Marshall amps. <laughs> oh, great! <laughs> but we did meet. Didn't uh, I seem to remember we met when I was working with Jack Jack Bruce yes. up in Norway? Yes, we did. Yes. That was the first time uh, I I remember meeting you anyway, yeah. Yeah, and it was um it was I forgot who who was on drums in in your band at that time. Um it was oh, Don't get old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's gone completely out of my mind. It'll come back to me in a minute. Yeah, it was, it was you know it, it was great to you know, I, I got to play with Jack once um, on stage. He was he was such a hoot. But, you, I mean, you, you have such history with him. Yeah. Um, going back to, like, what, 1980, 81? You guys did that, right. did that album? 
Yeah, the first one we did. Um, but in actual fact, the last album we did, um, Seven Moons, was our favourite. Right. Both of, both of us were, were proud of that album, which is what yeah. we were touring when, when, when we met up in uh, Norway that time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Um, but Jack, Jack was dynamite. He was dynamite. And yeah. the, the fact that he could sing and play bass like that at the same time. Like, Ridiculous. <laughs> you know, he's one of those kind of players and, and musicians you just go, save some talent for the rest of us. I mean, he's had yeah. it all. He had it all. Yeah, that's it. And and fretless. It was fretless. Because when I played with him, he played like a fretless bass and his intonation was perfect. I'm like, how are you doing this? I know, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah I, I, I wouldn't let him use the fretless playing with me. Good, good. Uh, too jazzy for me. Too, yeah, and it's like it's like you, if you're playing with a fretless bass player, they can never accuse you of being out of tune. You're like, wait a minute, yeah. man. Yeah. I got the snark. I'm, I'm sorted out. Yeah. I, you know, one one of the craziest things ever was uh, I learned when we first started touring Europe that when you go over there. <laughs> that you have to make sure that the, the Hammond organ is either a UK or European spec, or you have to have a switch on it that has 50 Hertz. Because if you ship an organ over there that doesn't have that switch and you and you set up and play without a sound check, your organ player is considerably out of tune from the rest yeah, of the that's I learned right. that the hard way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but um, are you are you uh, are any plans to tour um, anytime soon? No, no plans. I mean, I would I would love to come and play again. You know, I, yeah. I really I really miss it. But it just I don't know. I, I'm just worried about COVID. You know, it's right. I, I will get out there as soon as I can. As soon as I yeah. feel safe. You know. Right. Yeah. Right. Which, uh, how did you How did you get on? You know, you've been touring. We did. Um, I'm happy to say we made it 88 shows without a, a, a case of COVID wow. in our camp. And then we had um, we had uh, luck. Well, not luckily, but but fortunately for the show part of it, we had seven crew members catch it in two days. And luckily, we had a day off after the, after the seventh guy got it. Um, and we, everybody went to their hotel rooms and didn't come out and it didn't spread after that. And we, 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 we didn't have to cancel any shows and great, but, um, it, you know, it was, it was kind of shockingly normal when we, yeah. when we, we've been toured. It's kind of like, especially in Europe, I was like, wow, this is pretty, pretty much the same way as I remember it, you know, that yeah, right, didn't see right. anybody with masks on and I was like, we're going to play the gig, you know, it, uh. Excellent. Well, you you did well to get through that without catching it. Yeah, you yeah. Did well. I I know people that that waited two and a half years, went out in one week's time, had to come home because everybody. Got home. <laughs> yeah, What's that's the, the other side of it. What was the last show you played? Was it pre-COVID? Yeah, it was. Last show I played, I think, was Seattle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. What did? What do you think it was, um, you know, because my my dad turned me on to your music. He was one of the biggest Robin Trower fans, and, and so am I. And 
your music was always played heavily on the radio in the U.S. Um, were you were you su- were you surprised at the reaction? I mean, obviously everybody hopes that their music is played everywhere, but especially yeah. in the U.S. I mean, you know, Bridge of Sighs and Long Misty Days and and To a Rolling Stone. That's you'd hear it on the like FM rock radios to this day. Yeah, that's it's great, isn't it? I mean, um, I think I was very fortunate to come along. Uh, at a time when FM radio was really at its strongest. Right. You know, uh, it's faded quite a bit since then. But, um, right. you know, um, yeah, I just think the timing was was lucky. Also, the other thing was that when we first started coming into the US, um, we were supporting, like, very big acts. Right. Uh, Death Rotal, 10 right. years after. So we got to play in front of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, great promotion, really great. Yeah, I I, I remember uh, I sent a picture uh, to David Coverdale of a poster. It was um, ACDC with special guest Whitesnake. And he, he texted me right back and he said, he said, that tour alone, we went from 50,000 records to 500,000 records. I mean, it was a, it was, yeah. it was a time when, when it, you know, Everybody was there, you know. Now it seems like everybody's there. So I just I'm going to get there at the last minute and see the headliner and and, and yeah. you know, shove off. But it was like you discovered all a lot of your favorite bands in support slots of other acts, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That well, I know that helped us break Bridge of Size. There's no doubt about it. It broke that album, being on on those big tours. Um, you know, it's funny. I was reading that. Um, you know, because you're known as a Stratocaster guy, the Strat guy, and it was uh, it was Martin's guitar. I read this thing. It was like you, Martin had a guitar. Martin Barr from Jethro Tull had a Strat that you were messing around with at, at, at like a sound check, and you're like, "This yeah. is it. No more Les yeah. Paul." <laughs> Absolutely, it, it, that's exactly what happened. I mean, he had. Uh, we were doing a sound check, uh, Procol Procol Harum, supporting Jethro, and. Um, Martin's second guitar was a Strat, and I very rudely picked it up and played it without asking. Right. <laughs> but I plugged it into my amp, and immediately it said hello. Right. You know, I think I went out and bought one the next day. Were you using Were you using Les Paul standards before that? Um, I think I had a Les Paul. What were they called? The ones with the white surrounds around the pickup. Oh. Um, uh... I kind of I kind of go back and forth, you know. Yeah. I, I play the Les Paul. I play a Strat when I need one, and you know. But what I, was I, that? What were you using on on uh, Jules Holland? Was that a was, telly? Was it? I was using something that looked like this. An old, an ancient Telecaster. Right, but did you have humbuckings on that one? That yeah, it had the yeah. humbucker. Yeah, I, that, that, that's that was good. Good tone. That's the way I got it, and. 
it was interesting because sometimes a trip to a Mexican restaurant and one too many margaritas pays off. That's how I got that guitar. All right. <laughs> There's a restaurant here in LA called El Compadre. It's on Sunset. And I was there with a couple of my guitar playing buddies and uh, my friend Kirk was like, hey man, let's 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 have another margarita. I'm like, I'm, I'm okay, I'm, I'm good. So peer pressure, I, I joined him for the margarita, the second one. And uh, we walk out across the street to Guitar Center in Hollywood, which is literally across the street. And right. I walked in, into the vintage room and there it was, just sitting on the wall. And I'm right. like, I don't care what this cost me. And I, I went. I went home with it that day, and I played probably a thousand shows on it. And yeah. I'm like, "Hey, good, good time." Yeah, thanks, thanks. You know, um, speaking of sound, you know, you were nice enough. And not not a lot of people know this fact. You were nice enough. Um, I I I still own three of your fawn color stacks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You were nice enough to sell me the cabinets, which which is the first time I saw you in '93. Those those straight cabinets were the same ones you were using. Yeah. And I noticed when I got into them, there were some cabinets you were using Electro Voice speakers. You were using 12Ls, which is yeah. a, kind of a secret weapon that not many people know about. Yeah. Yeah. Very very punchy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I hadn't played those. For so long, I thought, well, we might as well just get rid of them, you know. But yeah, I I, I like the the, uh, the vintage thirties, the Celestians. That's that's what I play now. Right. Are you are you using uh, uh, what? Because uh, I I know you, you you. I mean, everything you play through sounds like Robin Trower. That's that's <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, are you using new Marshalls now? Or are you still using the old? The old tops. No, I'm use. Uh, I say new. I mean, I've had them a few years now. Um, I on that album, on the new album, I'm using a um, what they call a blues breaker, the two twelve huh? twenty watt combo, and uh, the fifty watt through a two twelve open mm -hmm. back cabinet. Um, the fifty watt is is a reissue of. I think they call it. 1989 or some some right. name like that yeah anyway so it's a combination of of those two and sometimes i would use um a vintage modern hundred mm -hmm. sometimes i would use a uh, 800 jcm 800 reissue one of the new right. ones um but it's always a combination of of two right so either i'd be a 50 and 100 or or the blues breaker and the 50 or blues breaker and 100 I'm always mixing them up, you know. It sounds and, great. Uh, and one one would be marked with a 57 Shaw, mm. and the other would be mar marked with a um, a ribbon mic. Right. Yeah, to get a nice smooth thing happening, you know. Where did you uh, Where did you record the, the 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 new album? Mostly, it was recorded at, at um, a place near me in Newbury. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, after we'd been in lockdown for a while, I decided I would try and upgrade because I'd written so many new songs, I wanted to include them in this album. So I, I went to Livingston Brown studio over in Surrey mm -hmm. and, and did four new songs there. Right. Um, so it's a combination of those two studios. 
And uh, Livingston played uh, bass on those tracks, right? He he played bass on three songs, yeah. Right. And you played bass. I played I... bass on the rest of it, yeah, yeah. Which, when I read that today, I was like, I I never would put that together. That <laughs> like that's, that's Robin playing the bass, you know. Well, I I like to come up with the bass parts because mm-hmm. I I try and get them integrated with the guitar part. So who right. who better to to sort of do that than the guitar player, you know? I do you use a pick on the bass or do you play? Like, I do. A, I play with a pick. Yeah, yeah. I I've I've met I own basses, you know. I have basses. I'm not a bass player. I just find myself like soloing with four strings. <laughs> I have no groove. I have absolutely no groove, you know. And it's like I, I always loan my I'll loan my basses to you know different people like when we do sessions. And I'm like yeah. well, that's how that's the way it's supposed to sound, you know. It's like I'm like I can't get anything out of it. I, I really enjoy playing the bass. It's great because the last few albums I've I've built all my tracks up from drum machine, you right. know, like computer drums, guitar part, guide vocal, bass. Right. You know, go that way. And then once I'm happy with, you know, most of it, I bring the drummer in. Mm-hmm. And that way I, I can I can sort of arrange everything exactly how I want it. Do you do you um um you know it's 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 funny it's like do do you like the new technology, the way of recording it? You know, as opposed to I do like, now. Yeah. I do now. Yeah, I think it works really well now. You know, they've got some some great great stuff in in computer recording now you know these pretendy outboard gear you know like some of it sounds just great yeah i did uh i I did a uh we were doing a record at uh, a studio here in la and one of the engineers was like he was just like he was just could not stop talking about how the studio had an original fairchild just like the beatles used and yeah and i said Try the plug-in. And I'm a, I'm an analog guy. I love all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the plug-in sounded better. It Really? There you go. And you're like, yeah. it, you know, I I remember having this, doing a record maybe seven, eight years ago. And we, my producer and I got this whole thing about, like, we're going to go back to tape. It sounds better. Bob. And it had been about 20 years since I worked on tape. And what I didn't realize was how long we used to wait around for the damn tape to rewind. <laughs> that, that is so true. Yeah, you, change save, the real, yeah. you save hours, don't you? Yeah, because yeah. now it's just like, okay, oh, we screwed that up, hit the space, you know, back, boom, yeah. boom, boom. And it, it makes it a lot, the work is faster. And um, we're just like, oh, oh, is this tape still rewinding? Yeah, oh, yeah. And then it's like, oh, then you're, you're if you had to edit, you know, I remember yeah. cut it. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember all that. Now you and can then, make a huge edit in 30 seconds that used to take two hours. And have yeah, tape, you know, but, you know, you know, I read, um, I read like you said in your bio that uh, James Brown was a big influence on you. Yeah. And, and I was not shocked because we all love James Brown, but the kind of music that you make, you know, 
I was I was I was struggling to hear the the James Brown in Bridge of Sighs. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not in Bridge of Sighs, I don't think. No. But um, Two Rolling Stone. Yeah. Two Rolling Stone uh, is um, you know the turnaround, the, like what you call the chorus, I, I guess, in Two yeah. Rolling Stone. That's yeah. a lift. That's a lift out of one of James Brown's tracks. Oh wow! Called called Down and Out in New York City. It was from a film. Right. And um, yeah, I just lifted those chord changes anyway, you know. And uh, no, I think when I, I often get asked about it because I think like James Brown live at the Apollo, you know, they get into these vamps where he's like riffing mm-hmm. over the top, you know, and it, they just they just hit a place and he's just riffing and riffing and riffing. And I always think of things like. Um, the the vamp out of two Rolling Stones. Yeah, I relate to what he was doing on on live at the Apollo. You know, did you? Um, I, I I I always it's always like my favorite. You know. You know, I I, I jam I jam for hours with that. Okay, that that was that was on repeat. <laughs> Uh, and um, I always wonder, was that improv? W- w- did you write that specifically for that song, or was it just something you started and the band went with you? No, no, I had it already. Uh, I had the idea of at the end of the song of 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 that breakdown in the vocal mm-hmm. right at the end, and then I came up with that that riff. Uh, and then I, I'm pretty sure we were we were playing that song live before we went in the studio, though. Right. Yeah. You know, I I miss the days where you can you can play new material live. You know, now it's like if you do that, everybody's got their phone and they record <laughs> it, and it's it's old news before it even yeah before you even get in the studio. You're like, you know, it's it's okay. You know, I, I I'm not complaining, but uh, you should be able to work some stuff out without having it out there. You know, for yeah. all to see. You know, that's one of the downsides of the whole digital thing, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. be, I, I think that I do think bands, you know, young bands. They don't get to work it out live, you know, like right. we, we did when I, well, when I was coming up anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, you, you know, you take, you know, get a hot band off the road. You know, you're, you're nailing that stuff in the studio in one take. You know, it's like, it's yeah, a absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I always wondered who who is involved. Where did you because uh, the end of two Rolling Stones, it's like there's some crowd noise. Yeah. It's like it's like there some someone's like, come on, Robin, do it. You know, yeah, yeah. Who was that? Well, we got we just got everybody um, who was around, you know, like the crew. Right. Mm-hmm. Me, Jimmy, Reg, you know, we just went out in, in the studio and uh, pretended like we were having a party. Nice. Uh, and it's really effective, isn't it? You know, doing it's great. that. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, 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 Jimmy, um, James Dewar, one of, in my opinion, one of the most underrated rock vocalist bass players. I put him up there with Jack Bruce and all the greats you know i mean what a voice and how did you how did you guys meet 
Well, um, when I left Procol Harum, I teamed up with a, a singer called Frankie Miller. Right. And we tried to put a band together and he brought in Jimmy mm -hmm. on bass and background vocals. Right. Uh, and in the course of working that band, I got to hear Jimmy singing lead. Right. And so when when I split from that, you know, we sort of broke up because it wasn't really happening. Um, I asked, I immediately thought, yeah, Jimmy, bass and vocals. I can have a trio. Brilliant. Right. <laughs> right. He was, um, yeah, and, you know, just a, you know, a wonderful texture to his voice. Great pitch, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, he's an amazing singer. As you say, he's, under, he's underrated. Someone asked me the other day, I was doing an interview the other day, and someone said, why is he such an underrated singer? And I, I, I had to point out that not a lot of people know him because we never had any really what you would call hits. Mm -hmm. You know, unless you get singles, hits, that kind right. of thing, people, the general public are not aware of you. Not really. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, too, is, and I, I, I still dig that. It was like, you know, the cover of Bridge of Size, I, I didn't know what you looked like for years. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know what you looked like until I think I saw you in a guitar magazine. Like, I think you were in Guitar World. And I'm like, oh, that's what Robin Trower looks like. You know, you had like a sunburst strat and a picture of you at the Marshalls with the eight by 10 cabinets. And I'm like, the eight, oh, the eight there it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, criminally as a kid i know this now i thought originally it was you singing those songs i think I most did. people did because i think it was confusing uh the fact that the band was called after me and, right. and i wasn't the singer right and uh i i just the reason i did that is because i'd seen so many bands break up and people who have been doing really well kind of disappear right once once that band that they were in that was so successful right and i thought i'm not going to have that happen to me <laughs> you right. know so i mean it was a band you know and i i felt like my name was the band name right we, we, jimmy and i were you know equals really yeah you know the that's the good thing i always say the one person they can't fire from the Joe Bonamassa band, Joe Bonamassa. Exactly. <laughs> can't fire me. Uh, yeah. I, I can't even quit either. So it's, it's, it's yeah. even worse, you know? That's it. Um, tell me, um, you know, uh, Procol Harum, obviously, you know, such a, you know, wonderful band. I, I had an opportunity to, to, um, to, to do a show at the Royal Albert Hall for charity with 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 Gary, all right. Passed, and the power of that song, "Whiter Shade of Pale." I mean, like, did you know when when that went down? Like, this this. Is, like, I I didn't I didn't I didn't play on "White Shade of Pale." It said I, that joined, you did. I, I didn't know that. I I joined them after. You don't join them after. Yeah, um, I think what happened was they they had "Whiter Shade of Pale" out, and they've been trying to record some new songs right. at that time. And they decided to get rid of the guitar player and the drummer. So Gary asked me to come in and BJ Wilson on drums. Right. So, you know, um, because they wanted to do an album. 
So, yeah, so they were number one when I joined them. Oh, that's okay. That's not a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a good start. How did, yeah. um, how long were you in Procol Harum? I think about five years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was a great schooling for me. You know, I learned about recording proper, proper studios. Touring in the U.S. in particular, you know, that was a great learning curve doing that. Right. So I, I think being in that band and making a little bit of a name, I don't think if, I mean, I, I, I said the other day, if Gary hadn't asked me to join Procol Harum, I don't think I'd have had the career I've had. Right. No way. You know, so it was a big boost up. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, for me, it was when I first would tour Europe or the UK. It was like it was it, it seems like the grass is always greener, you know, like English artists would come over here like, oh, my God, we're in Oklahoma, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like, OK, have fun, you know, yeah. me, I'm like, you know, I'm in London or I'm in Berlin. Or I'm like, you know, and it's like when we came over there for the very first time, it was so exotic. And I was like, because I'm such an Anglophile and love English blues and blues rock. My whole life has been that, you know. And I was like really shocked when I first got to the UK 20 years ago, more now, was all the UK players, at least the younger ones, were playing like Stevie Ray Vaughan. They were copying the American. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And here I am, the American, coming over and copying people like you. You know, <laughs> so much so yeah. that they thought I was English for a long time. I mean, wow. it's like I would meet people either abroad or here and they're like, you're not English. I'm like, no, I'm from New York, man. <laughs> <laughs> With a name like Bonamassa, you can't be from New York. Haven't you? Something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, should, I should either own a, a, a chain of Italian restaurants or be a guitar player. <laughs> so. When did you first discover the blues? Because, you know, in, in England, it was a huge deal. And, and yeah. so much the, so much so that our homegrown stars like Muddy and John Lee Hooker and found big audiences in the UK and they couldn't sell out 200 seats here in the US. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Um, I was very fortunate. Um, we used to have a place... Um, my father owned, which was a cafe, and we had a jukebox. And luckily enough, one of the local guys was importing music, it's 45s. Right. He was in touch with a, a shop in Memphis, and they would set, he would send money, they would send him single, singles. You know. right. And he used to put some of them on the jukebox. So I got to hear some stuff very early before it was even released in, in the UK. And the first thing I remember really hitting me hard was Three O'Clock Blues by B.B. King. Yeah. Now, this is this is right early 60s, 62 maybe, you know, 61, 62. I was in a band called The Paramounts with Gary Brooker. Right. And uh, so, you know, I started to hunt down and, uh, and get hold of B.B. King stuff, and that was the beginning of it. Right. And then they started to release, like, Howling Wolf, and Muddy Waters, um, slowly but surely. I mean, you know, they were years after these tracks had been made. Right. And I, I can remember hearing um, Howling Wolf's Smokestack Lightning. Mm -hmm. 
you know, uh, and being absolutely bowled over. And yeah. I, I still think to this day that Bridge's size is a knock-on from Smokestack Lightning. The vibe, right. the deep, right. the deep vibe on that record. You know, yeah. it was the first thing I'd ever heard like that. Right. And there hasn't been much like it ever since, to be honest. Yeah, uh, Wolf's voice was so haunting. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. When I heard, I heard Evil for the first time. I go, boy, I believe that. Yeah, <laughs> very convincing. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you had me at the first verse, dude. Yeah, You're good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was, um, it was interesting because you know we first heard the blues criminally. We first heard the blues because it was reimported back in the form of the Jeff Beck group, Led Zeppelin, yeah, Man on the Blues Breakers, you know. Robin Trower, you know, and, and it was like, Eric Clapton was a big influence, a huge influence on me. And, and I'm like, my first, the first time I heard the blues was further on up the road, Eric Clapton's version, not Bobby. Oh, right. right. And, you know, but again, it's like, however you get to the, where you need to go, that's your musical journey. Well, that's the door. They gave you the door in and -hmm. you were able to go and look for the real deal. Yeah. From there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, you know, but it's it, it all it all coalesced for me because I I love the sound of the, the British blues rock because of it was the way the guitars sounded. It right. was it, it was bigger. It was like yeah. fatter tone, and you're just like, man, I, I you know I sit for hours still to this day. Look, look around. I mean, I sit for hours. <laughs> trying to i'm still chasing that you know i mean it's like it's because of how effective those records are well we're all still chasing something or other yeah i know i am you know it's i'm messing around with setups and different uh pedals you know i mean i've just discovered something lately that um that full tone make um called a secret freak Mm -hmm. Which maybe you should try if you're looking yeah. for. I used it quite a lot on the new album. Um, is, it, is it an overdrive pedal? Yeah, an, an overdrive, but it's it's got a frequency selector on it. Ah, uh, and you can mess around with it for hours. But um, yeah, I I really like it. It it certainly suits neck pickup that you know that I mostly solo on. It suits it very well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I I will I will be chastised by my friends who know I'm interviewing you today if I don't ask you <laughs> this. The Univibe, yeah. I can't believe you got one in such good condition. I have I have two. I have one still in the original box. Wow, um, they're ancient now, aren't they? The they do a thing, and the first time I heard a Univibe was Bridges Eyes. Right. And, it, and it's like, how did you discover that? Because these were made in Japan. I uh, I was in Manny's in New York. Right. In Procol, when I was in Procol Harum, and I was just trying out everything that I had, and I had one there, and I immediately wow. fell in love with it. Yeah. Wow. That's, you know, it's interesting because that just – goes along with another and like uh, amazing stories about Manny's music. 
you know that about oh this is almost seven or eight years ago when they sold the building and they were going to tear the building down that was manny's on 48th street yeah i rescued the sign i i i own the i own the big sign oh wow <laughs> because of what you're saying is i'm like they were going to throw the sign in the garbage yeah they're going to take it to the dump i'm like wait a minute Jimi hendrix walked underneath that bought stuff Robin Trower bought his Univibe at, you know, it's just story after story like that. It's that a historic place, isn't it? The history yeah. that was because, you know, if you for some reason didn't happen to be in Manny's, maybe Bridges Size would have sounded a lot different, you know? Yeah, it, maybe it, it would never existed. Correct, you know? And, yeah. and it was like, and it's, to me, it's like, that's worth saving, you know? Because yeah, it, definitely, you know, definitely. In the, in the name of progress. You know, but I play a, a thing called a Deja Vibe now, which is very close. Yeah. It's not the same, but it yeah. it does give the similar sort of feeling. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 squishy. It 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 feels yeah. like it's compressing a little bit in a, in a cool way. And also, I think when I first heard it, I thought, oh, it's a bit like a, a Leslie. Yeah, a similar feeling to a Leslie. You know that sort of movement. Right. You know. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's kind of what their 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 goal was to create yeah. a Leslie, you know, yeah, Leslie yeah, in a yeah. box, which is not the same, but but it's a happy yeah. accident. Um, yeah, definitely. So one of the one of the records that I think in your catalog sticks out to me is underrated is uh, a record called Caravan to Midnight. And it's funkier then it's it, at first listen you go are you sure this is robin track it is robin track yeah. you know and, and um um you know that song in particular i'm out to get you, you right it, it's like it, it's a different side what was what was the what was the inspiration behind the album because the whole album has that kind of theme to it. it's more up tempo you know less of the big ballads it's it's funkier yeah well uh we before the album before that we made uh, an album called uh, In City Dreams. Yeah. Um, and for that album, because Jimmy and I were such big Johnny Taylor fans, mm -hmm. we asked the producer of Johnny Taylor right. to, cut, to come and, and do In City Dreams. Right. So, and that was the first time we, we used Rusty Allen on bass. So that immediately was funkier. Right. Bill Lorden on drums, Rusty Allen on bass, Jimmy on vocals, me on guitar. And uh, so the next album was uh, Caravan to Midnight, and that was an extension. Gotcha. You know, we ca we carried on in that vein, doing more, you know, I would say more R&B kind of rock and roll. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a great album. But it's in, in, you know, your whole catalog is full of great songs. And I always say, like, there's so many great guitar players that have been in the world, in the world, and the songs are really what stick around, you know. And yeah. and it's it's not a it's not a lick, it's not a it's not a you know a bunch of crazy notes. It's the song, you know. Yeah. And and chances are, it's a lot simpler than you think. You know, I mean, when, yeah. you go into, 
when you go into Bridge's size, the whole crowd goes nuts because they know it's 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 coming. Same thing with Long Misty Days, Daydream. You know, like the list goes on and on. To a Rolling Stone, you know, it's it it's the song. You know, I, yeah. mean, I don't think you get enough credit as a writer. Thank you, know, you very much. No, it's, <laughs> I'm serious, and and you know, yeah. It, because without the song, there's not like there's not a lot of vehicles for just mindless guitar playing. No, no. I mean, when I come up with an idea for a song, it's always based on a guitar part. Um, and the first thing I always check out is, would I like to play lead on this? Right. That's that's where it starts for me. Right. Will it? Will I be able to do it? You know, will I be comfortable? With, can I make a good lead on this? And then I start working on the song. Right. From that point, yeah. So it's it's all about the guitar, really. But, you know, once you've got the guitar part, it then becomes all about the vocal part. Right. You know, and, yeah. and then the and then the lyrics, you know. So I work very hard on, on material, you know, but I love it. I, I mean, creating any sort of creative thing in music is fun anyway, isn't it? Right. It is. It's, I mean, we're blessed to be able to wake up in the day and, this is what we do for a living. You know, it's like, Absolutely. You know, um, tell me about the about the signature strat. The- okay. Um, well, there's a guy that works in the custom shop there at Fenders mm-hmm. called Todd Kraus. Yeah. And he he used to come to the gigs, mm-hmm. and eventually he said to me, you know, it's in California. He'd come to California gigs, and eventually he said to me, "I'm trying to get, you know, the the powers that be at Fender to." To, to come up with a signature model. So eventually he talked them into it. And um, then he asked me, what would you like on it? So we we went through it together, you know, and I, I chose three different types of pickups. I wanted to have the bigger headstock because I thought a bit more wood, there might be more resonance. Right. I don't know whether that makes any sense or not, but um, bigger frets. Yeah, uh, and the classic sort of vintage um, saddles and everything, you know. Yeah, five way switch uh, on, right. on the on the pickups, and that's basically it. Really, it's it's really a slightly customized seventy strap. Really, you know. Do you do you still have any old of the old ones left? I have one fifty six. Nice. Yeah, I had I I did have a collection of about twenty vintage guitars and they were all stolen really <laughs> yeah out of a uh, storage in in la oh so sorry. I, at that at that point i said i'm not going to have any vintage guitars anymore i'm just going to play new guitars right it's it's too painful to lose them you know did they ever recover any of them no wow yeah wow yeah i you know, I mean, like that was that was the thing for me. It's like, you know, it was this. I I could hear the picture. You know, I'd see you with a, a blonde maple neck strat. I was like, I want, I want one. You know, <laughs> you know, use you, Buddy Holly, Anson Funderburg, Eric Johnson. Those I was like, I, I want Clapton too. Yeah, I mean, he played the maple neck strat. Yeah, but uh, what um, what year did you have your stuff stolen? I think it must have been uh, late seventies. Oh wow! So yeah, a long time I mean, ago. Yeah, yeah. Is that that's why I've been playing new new strats ever since. Yeah. Right. You just ring up Fender and be like, 
I need, I need I could use a couple new ones. Well, uh, they they do make uh, I think you know like one or two every couple of three years that they'll ask me what color I want. Nice. And I, I, yeah, and I've got I suppose eight or nine something like that. But yeah. there's only there's only three that I would call real favorites. You know that have have something about them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it just depends on what speaks to you, you know. It's like, it's just, yeah, they're, not, they're all different. They're, you know, they're handmade. Who That's knows? right. They all have their own character. There's no doubt about it. Well, thanks. I mean, uh, thanks for doing this, Robin. I mean, like, it's so oh, my pleasure. You could tell I'm a big fan. You know? <laughs> and uh, you know, and uh, I love the new album. Really love the new album. And, thanks. Thanks a lot. You know, it's it's always exciting. You know, I always. You know, every time I hear, you know, because I, I, you know, I, I, well, I don't have a CD player anymore, but I, I get every time you put out a new album, I, I, your last one, I think was 2019. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and every time there's a new Robin Trower record, I always know, I, I just, it's, 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 it's I always know it's going to be great because it, it's, it always takes me back to why I, I love the guitar in the first place, because it's like, it's always that big, it always opens up with a big sound you know and i'm like you know it's 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 and it's never changed you know your sound is always just this these big wide notes and you know and um my theory is that you use a, a light touch on the pick and that's how i i don't know i may be wrong but that's that's when me when i go down the rabbit hole i'm like if i just back <laughs> off the this and put use that I, I it still sounds like me well, well the thing the thing is i do use heavy strings Right. I tune down a, a whole step. Okay. Uh, just so that I can use heavy strings on the E and the B. Uh, and, right. you know, otherwise it's very difficult to get any tone out of uh, the top two strings if they're not fat. And right. I think that's part of it. And also actually tuning down, I think, makes it sound fatter as well. The whole thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I use an 11 on the top and I use a 52 on the right. bottom and I find well, that, that it yeah. tunes yeah. up better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I have a propensity of playing too many notes. So, so it, it helps me not play too many. Right. notes. That's well, great. Well, yeah. uh, if you raise your action, that'll slow you down even more. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, man, I, I can't thank you enough. And, and, um, uh, thanks for being on. And uh, again, I love the new album and, and I, I can't wait for you to get back on the road. You know, I know you just, you know, you know, we'll get through. I can't, get, I can't yeah. wait either. I, I mean, I'd love to get back out. I, I've got a, it's a matter of wait and see. Maybe next year I might be able to do something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. maybe we'll get, we, maybe we'll get to do a gig together. Right. I would Sometime. love to. Yeah. You know, I got to go on first though. Cause I, I can't follow you. There's no, no way. Oh, get, get out of here. <laughs> I can't follow that. <laughs> Cause you'll kill me in the first song. You'd be like, oh, we're going to go put up a two rolling stone. I'm like, all right, I'm forgotten. <laughs>